Listen, uh, what happens to you when you get angry? For me, my, my, I, I know that I'm reaching a, a level of anger because my, my ears get hot. Um, does anybody ever have anything like that? Where your face gets flushed or your, you can feel your neck heat up or something like that? Um, you ever say anything during that moment that you regret? I can't relate to that. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, and this will all, I hope, make sense by the end of this morning. One time, uh, just so you know, one time I went to Bell Tire in my uh, bathrobe. <laughs> and my father-in-law came to pick me up because, you know, I'm at Bell Tire for a reason, needing tires and stuff. And so he shows up and I'm wearing my, my bathrobe. And he could not believe it. We still joke about it a little bit every once in a while. When I was there at, at Bell Tire in my bathrobe, what do you think they thought about me? Uh, as, as Christians, uh, do you think that we practice religion or relationship? Where, what would you say? Should practice relationship. How do you know the difference between religion and relationship? And what would that look like? Well, today, James, believe it or not, is going to say a little bit about all of those things. Not specifically hot ears and not specifically bathrobes, and, and, uh, but he is going to talk about these things. And I, I think, I hope, it is my goal that we can, as we look at God's word, we'll be able to apply them then to our lives. But uh, before we jump into God's word, will you, will you join with me in prayer? God, our Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we ask that as we look at this word of James, that you would have your way with us. We ask, Lord, that, uh, that you would change our hearts and our minds. We pray that right now, as we dive into your scriptures, we know that there are so many things going on in the lives of all these who are gathered here who surround us. But just for now, as we gather together to hear your word preached, God, we ask that you would quiet our hearts and our minds, that you would focus us on you, that you would bring us to a place where your spirit can have its work on us. We ask that because, again, we profess that you are worthy. We know that you have your good in store for us, as James has told us last week. So because of those things, God, we ask that you would be with us now as we look into your word and apply it to our lives. And it's in the precious name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. So as what we're going to talk about today uh, is in James 1, 19 through 27. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can find that. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, you can find that there. If, if you're brand, brand new to church, that's going to be in the New Testament. So uh, turn all the way through past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and you'll get into some of those letters. Also, if you're brand new to, to this whole thing, uh, in the front of the Bible is a... Is a um, 
table of contents, and you can find it in there. But we're going to be in the book of James, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. It will also be on the screen, too, but I just wanted to talk long enough so I could hear pages being turned to, to reassure myself that you all actually do want to make sure that what I'm saying is actually the Word of God, too. So the, if you're a note taker and you have a copy of notes, here's your first blank to fill out. We need to receive the Word humbly. That's what James says. James says we need to receive the word humbly. Here's, here's what he writes. Uh, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampart wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So he says, first off, that we need to be quick to hear. He, he gives us three things that we need to, to do, and you probably see that in the text. But as we look over this, as, as, as you uh, look with me, uh, he tells us there are three things, firstly, that we need to do. He says, uh, be quick to hear. Well, quick to hear what, you might ask? Well, I think we can break that down into three categories myself, too. And so I think, firstly, what he would say is we need to be quick to hear the word of God. You know, on a Sunday morning like this, when we're all gathered together and we're here for hearing the word of God, that's easy for us to do, right? But at the moment that I am losing my temper, or the moment that I'm struggling with something, or the moment that I need to be rebuked or encouraged or, or whatever, sometimes it's a little harder to hear the word of God, isn't it? Uh, we also need to be quick to hear godly counsel. So maybe it's not a, a Bible bullet. And by the way, please, please... Be careful when shooting off your Bible bullets, because sometimes they can do more, more injury than, than, than good. But we need to be able to hear godly counsel. We need to be able to hear from our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that when they're working alongside us, when they're laboring with us, or even if they have something corrective to speak in, we need to be quick to be able to listen and hear that. Think about Peter on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there in such a marvelous time. Uh, Jesus was, was up there, and you've got uh, these two great figures, pillars of the faith that have come down to be with Jesus, and they're talking, and Peter breaks in and says, hey, it's so good that we're here. Let me build some tabernacles. And, and then do you remember the story? And then that voice from heaven says, you know, this is my son. Listen to him. And, and Peter should have known that it is better to be quick to hear than to speak. Or think of Samuel as a young boy uh, laying in bed. And he heard Samuel, Samuel, you know, he, he gets up and and he goes to the priest, and he thinks it's the priest, and it's not the priest. And eventually, over time, the, the current priest recognizes that, hey, you need to go back, and then next time you hear that, say, you know, I'm, your servant is, is ready, or I'm listening. Or maybe even you remember Jesus who said, he who has ear to hear, let him hear. And so I hope that we can do that today. So the second thing he tells us is to be slow to speak. Now, believe it or not, somebody who speaks for a living, I have a little trouble with that. And the older I get, the, the more that I see the value of just being quiet and listening to people. But what he's talking to here is not just to talk slowly, 
Although some of you graciously have told me that as I read text or sometimes when I say my points, I speak so fast that you have trouble writing those things down. So if you've noticed my cadence is I'm trying to be a little slower for you today to try to uh, uh, be a doer of the word is what we're going to see here in just a little bit. But, so not just talking slowly, but being slow to voice your opinion, being slow to voice a criticism or a critique or uh, paying attention to the circumstances before you just kind of pop off at the mouth. Slow to pronounce judgments or speak presumptuously. Slow to cause an offense or to give a defense. One of those uh, great men of scripture I think about was David. You remember Nathan came to him and approached him about this guy who had stolen this lamb and was going to eat this lamb. And do you remember David pronounced judgment so quickly? That guy should die. And then Nathan said, well, that's, that's you. Thirdly, he tells us we need to be slow to anchor. You know, there's perception and then there's reality. I know a lot of times that my perception is what causes me to be angry, not necessarily the, the reality of the situation. I'll give you a famous one for me, I think probably for most people. I, I think uh, whenever I work on a vehicle, uh, usually is the time that I find myself getting angry, right? And as, for me, as I'm working on a vehicle, I'm, I'm doing that for several reasons. One, I'm trying to do that myself in order to save money. Um, in theory, I'm doing it to save time. But it's often the case that my perception of what has to happen and when it has to happen, how fast it has to happen, and wh what the price should be often is different than maybe the reality of the situation. I find myself in my perception being angry that my perception isn't the reality. But he tells us in Scripture that my anger, your anger, does not produce righteousness. And as I was preparing this and I was thinking, I, I, I cannot think of a single time in my life, and maybe if I thought harder, I, I, maybe by God's grace he may give me that revelation, but I cannot think of a single time where when I got ears hot, angry, that I was doing so in the righteousness of God. Or that out of that ears hot anger that I experienced, I produced or met out the righteousness of God. Oftentimes, in fact, what I'm doing is sinning against whoever it is or, and then also against God. And I have to go back and then ask for forgiveness from that person and from the Lord. But he tells us we ought to be slow to anger. Your anger does not produce Righteousness, Psalm 4, 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds. Be silent, he says. Now, does that mean we can never be angry as Christians and we're supposed to be happy all the time and joyful all the time and there's never supposed to be anything that bothers you? Is that what I'm saying? Is that what you're hearing? You see, there is such a thing as righteous anger. It should make you angry that our country is doing the things that it's doing or pushing people to do the things that they're pushing. It should make you angry that, you know, this world is not the way that it should be because our hearts cry out to a holy and righteous God, hey, this is not how this should be. And so it's right to be angry about those things. However, we can be angry and not sin. We can ponder those things. We can bring those things to the Lord, and we can act within our purview and what is right for us at the time. Moses lost his temper and struck the rock. Do you remember that story? He was just supposed to speak to it. 
And out of his anger, which was kind of righteous anger towards Israel, like how long are you people going to be this way? And then he strikes the rock, and because of that, he's kept out of this promised land. So James, the brother of Jesus, then says, okay, so if we're not supposed to do those things, then what are we supposed to do? He says, therefore, which means instead of. So be quick to speak, or be, be, I'm sorry, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Therefore, in verse 21, he says, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. So what we're supposed to do instead is to put off this old filth and to put on Christ-likeness, just like we change our garments. That's how our life is supposed to be. Colossians 3, 9 through 10, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How do we do that? Well, he tells us that too. He tells us the very next step there is to receive this word humbly, which is where I got this point for this first point. Receive the word humbly. This is an implanted word. It's a word that has to be ingested has to be handled. He tells us that this word is able to save our souls. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. That's what he's talking about here. It's interesting to me, this letter is specifically interesting because if, if we're correct in our understanding historically that, G, that, that James is the brother of Jesus, he gives us great insights into the familial application of texts like these. This is not meant to be flippant, so please don't take it that way, but can you imagine how annoying it would be to have Jesus as your big brother? I mean, I was all, so I was an only child. I had nobody that they could like hold me up against and compare me to, thankfully, right? But can you imagine if they were comparing you to Jesus all the time? Talk about your ears getting hot. I'm sure James learned a thing or two. Next point. We need to review the word continually. Why? Well, because believe it or not, oftentimes we go to Bell Tire in our bathrobe. <laughs> it might look a little different for you, but rest assured the word tells us that we do that. Here's what I mean by that. James says in 23 through 25, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we need to re review the word continually because if you're only a hearer, you're deceived. You, you know, I, I've talked to plenty of people and, and I, I, I trust none of you in this room. I, I pray for none of you in this room that this would be true of you. But I've talked to plenty of people and I asked them, you, you know, how, if you stood before the Lord and, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? Uh, how, how would you know? And, and a lot of their, their, their primary answer is, well, because I, I, go to, I go to such and such church. It's like, that's, that's not what this is about. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I'm glad that you are all here. But don't be deceived in thinking that just because you're here that that, that is what gets you to heaven. That's, that's not it. 
this is just a building, and this is just the time that we meet together, but we have to know Christ. That's that implanted word. It's kind of like uh, two men who are on a road trip. And uh, the one guy says, well, you know, I've, I've been this way before. Let's take this shortcut. And as they're going along on this shortcut, they breeze by this first sign that says, road closed. And they think nothing of that because they've been down this road before. And then they breeze by another sign that says, do not enter. And, and then they breeze by the last and final sign that says, danger ahead, right before they sail over the edge of that ravine 10 feet down below. James is telling us here that a real faith is a faith, faith that works. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror and then goes to Beltire in his robe anyway. You know, think about mirror gazing just for a minute. I don't know if you realize this, but the technology of, of mirrors has come a long way from back where they were. So what they used to have is like polished metal, right? And, and the way that they polished metal, I, I, I would assume back then was often like we did it today, but the technology that they had to do that was, was far, far different. So the shine level that they could get was not as good. Now, of course, the best mirror would have been maybe like a bowl of water or something like that that they could see a better reflection on. And so maybe, maybe some of them had something like that. But these first century mirrors, and we see that with, with other people, like, um, uh, like when Paul said, you know, right now we see as a mirror dimly, but eventually we're going to see face to face. But these first century mirrors were fairly blurry, right? But you could still, if, and, and here's what he says, and, and this is why I bring this up to you. Look at what he says here. He says, this is like somebody who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. We can look really, really good on the outside, but inside, we're dead. We've got a whole host of influencers, whatever that term means, on social media. And if you're too old to understand what the term influencer is, then, then, then that's okay. I don't really know what it means either, so we're in the same camp. But think of all the movie stars over history and all the billboard people and all those kind of things, all the fancy runway models or whatever it is that's out there, and they can look really, really good on the outside, but inside they're dead. And so here's the deal. When you look intently at a mirror, you're only seeing surface things. What James is telling us is we need to look deeper than just surface. And the only way we can do that is by continuing to look at the mirror of the word, to review the word continuously. And so when we do that, when we look at the word, we can remember what we look like. And I don't just mean, you know, hey, I've got this scar up here, I'm starting to get gray over here, or, or whatever. What I mean is... When we look at the word, the true mirror, it shows us truly who we are. If you're anything like me, when you spend time looking at the mirror of the Lord, you think to yourself, wow, I'm a mess. It's way worse than just a bathrobe to bell tire. I mean, look, over here I've got pride, and then over here I've got 
lost and, and, and up here I've got you know, past hurts and, and regrets and, and shame and guilt that I still deal with. And down here, I've got the lack of faith. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And, and over here, I have all these things spattered all over myself when I look at the mirror of the word. And so firstly, what James is telling us here is, it's great to look intently at your natural face, but what you need to do is gaze into the perfect law, the law of liberty, to remind of what you look like, but also to remember who you're looking to. And of all people, James would know this, right? Coming so close, being in the same household and growing up with Jesus and only understanding after his death, burial, and resurrection, who it was who he grew up with. But we need to remember who we look to. Because here's what you will find. When you look into the word, not only does it give you a reflection of who you are rightly, but in the word is the only place that we get to see who God is. I have the blessing of, of each year going out to Beach Point and teaching theology to the, to the, to the leaders who are out there. And it is amazing. I told them this just this week, and so they will remember this. But I, I love that I get to do that because it brings me again to this window of who God is, that I get to see God every year and remind myself of his communicable and his incommunicable attributes. I get to look afresh at his largeness by gazing into his word and then having a new joy and hope in Christ because I'm seeing who he is by his word. And so not only does his word, the right mirror, show us who we are, but we also then know who we look to. And then if that was not enough, the end of that is really to remember what you receive. It would be unfortunate if looking at the word only reminded me of who I am and who God is, because if we don't know who Jesus is too, if we don't know what Jesus has given us, then I'm still without that hope. And so remembering what I receive by looking into this mirror of the word, then I understand that, hey, I might be a wretch, but I am a beloved child of the Lord too. And I might be a mess, but at least I know he's not finished with me yet. He's in the process of continuously cleaning me up and preparing me and dusting me off and bringing me back onto the shelf, even though sometimes I fall off again. And that he, is in the, he has the ability to take all my broken pieces and to put them back together. And a sister shared with me last week, to all those broken pieces are put back together. And then as he puts his light in it, can then shine out of all those other cracks. Those cracks that when I look in the mirror and I see what I I've done to myself. Instead, what he does is he uses them to allow the light that he has put into me to shine out to a world out there that is hurting. It's a beautiful reminder. And so James tells us that we need to be more than just looking at the mirror and forgetting what we look like, that we need to review the word continuously because that is what helps us to change our minds, to renew our minds, to reveal more and more of who we are to ourselves. I I also understand that a mirror shows growth, whether I like it or not. Sometimes it shows, you know, this growth, and sometimes it shows gray growth or whatever, but it can, also, it can show me all kinds of growth. And so the word of the Lord is also what shows us this kind of growth. It is how I know that I'm different today than I was when I first received Christ. And it's what I look to to see and long for, that which I will continue to grow to be as I continue to follow Christ, because those are the promises that we receive. Not only that, but 
using James' exact words that says, he will be blessed in his doing. Why is that? Well, it's because we are, we are using the instruction manual. Men, can I get an amen? Yeah, exactly. What's that? Who needs that instructions? We'll figure it out as we go. And I'm left... Isn't it nice when, when, you, when you do that, that they always give you extra nuts and bolts that you didn't even need? I love that. I'm like, thank you. These are extra. Just in case this thing breaks later, I'll have extra nuts and bolts that I didn't need. Who, who, they do that every time. It's crazy. Lastly, then, what James tells us is to obey the, world, the word wholeheartedly, not the world. Obey the word wholeheartedly, he tells us. He says this in James, his letter 1, 26 through 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, kids, they pretend house. But oftentimes, adults pretend religion. One is fun. It helps them understand roles. One is dangerous because potentially it damns our souls. Here we see pretend religion described and practical religion described. And so I just want to ask you, I don't answer out loud, but I want to probe your heart. Do you ever play at religion? And what does that look like for you? And how can we, because I'm in that camp with you, how can we repent from that? And where is God speaking to us today to repent from that? Here are some good places to start that James notices. He says, firstly, we need to be working on controlling the tongue. Now, I don't know if you know much about James. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to go through the book. I would encourage you. It's a shortish letter. I would encourage you to read that uh, throughout the weeks as, as, as we're going to be covering it through this series. But I would encourage you just for your own good to continue to, to read over that. But it is a theme in the book of James that he will be talking about, the controlling of one's speech. He says here, if, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That term worthless there is the same thing, this idea of idolatry. I was listening to a sermon by Piper just the other day uh, as we're doing work on our house and I have projects to do over there. I just listen to different things, podcasts or preaching or, or other teachings. Uh, I've been listening to the Three Musketeers too on a, on a different app, just all kinds of different stuff. Um, but Piper, what he was talking about, uh, he was speaking, and, and I'm going to get it wrong because I was only like partially listening to him and, and doing the work that I was doing and stuff, but uh, he was talking about, uh, I think it was, uh, it was uh, Ezekiel, I, th I think. And, uh, the, the, the point of it, what I want to bring out is he was talking about their gods ride on chariots. And the point of his message was those people have to carry their gods. Our God is the one that carries us. 
And so here, if I look at James with this, this person's religion is worthless. If we just say that we are religious, and what this means is we say, now religion here, what James is talking about when he says religion isn't like, you know, legalism practices. When he says religion, he means faith in Christ Jesus. If you are saved, have saving faith in Christ Jesus, he says, then you should be about the business of controlling your tongue. And if that's not the case, then your religion is worthless. Your religion is idolatry, because what he's telling us is what we say matters. How we say it matters. Do you remember how God created all things? He spoke them into creation, and we are created in his image, meaning that our words have power too. Now, I am not right now preaching a name it, claim it kind of gospel and just speak your truth out to the universe and let the universe juice bring that back to you. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is as we are created in God's image and as we are saved by Christ Jesus, our words matter. What we say matters and how we say it matters. The next thing he tells us is that we ought to have concern for the helpless. This is not a new thing. I think people think that the God of the Old Testament and then the Jesus of the New Testament are so very different that it's almost hard to reconcile the two. That's not the case. In the Old Testament, God has always had concern for the helpless. Exodus 22, 22. Doesn't get much older Testament than that, right? In Exodus 22, 22, it says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. In Deuteronomy 14, 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. He's talking here, I believe, about the gleanings of the field. So it's harvest time, right? And so what they would do is they would leave what, what, they would go through the field, and whatever they can gather, they can gather. But whatever is missed or whatever falls, they are told not to go back and get it with the whole purpose of that is the way that these orphans and widows could then get their food. They could walk through the fields that had already been harvested, and whatever's left over, that's what God provides for them. Isaiah 1, 10 through 17. Write that down. I'm not going to read it to you. That's a large uh, section of text there, but... God always cared for the less fortunate. Remember, Jesus said he did not come for the holy, but for the helpless. That's a paraphrase. Jesus didn't say that exactly. Jesus also told us in one of his parables, basically, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Uh, some things I say to my wife sometimes when we're dealing with stuff is I try to remind us, us both I say, first world problems, right? Man, this internet is so slow. This thing will not download. I, I don't have 20 minutes to sit here and let this thing download. And I'm like, yeah, okay, first world problems. Because we did not have to walk 32 miles with a jug on my shoulder to go get water out of a stream that some buffalo upstream, okay? Like, first world problems, right? We need to keep things in context. To whom much has been given, much will be required. Brother or sister, you are rich. If we look out throughout history, we are rich. And I don't care where you're at in this country on the socioeconomic ladder, throughout history, 
you're wealthy. And so he tells us these three things are part of true religion, right? Controlling your tongue, controlling your speech, concern for the helpless. And then lastly, he says, a contrast to the world, being different than the world. Sometimes, so on the way out to where my parents live, they live out in Grand Junction area. So the way that we take out there, and if you know anything about Bloomingdale or Grand Junction area, they have this, they have this store out there that has donuts on Fridays, I think, Friday mornings or maybe Saturday mornings, fresh, fresh made donuts. What's the name of the store, Ma? Do you remember? Can't think of it now. You'll think of it right after I'm done preaching. That's cool. Ask Karen. Ask Karen later. Oh, you did? What's it called? Bent and Broken. Bent and Dent. There you go. So you wouldn't think a place called Bent and Dent would have good donuts, but they do. They're fresh-made donuts, right, out there. And you know who makes those donuts? The Amish people do. Or Mennonites. I'm not sure which they are. I haven't been able to stop one and ask. But here's my point. Sometimes we're driving out to my parents' house, and I'll see them uh, in their little uh, carts, you know, their sweet little kids with their bonnets or their little overalls and those kind of things. And I think to myself, you know, I think they've got it figured out. They don't have to worry about electricity or internet or Netflix or Disney streaming or, you know, any of that stuff. And they just, they always look so happy. They're on their little carts, in and out. Anytime I go by them, they're always waving to me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I retire, I'm going to be Amish. <laughs> I'm working on the beard now. But what James tells us is we're supposed to contrast the world. Jesus said the same thing, right? Like, you are to be a light, not under a bushel. You're to be on, on top, shining out. You're to be salt. Jesus told us the same thing. This was Jesus' command. This was not, this was not a, uh, a suggestion. James, the brother of Jesus, then, of course, brings the same things up. He says, you're supposed to be unstained. In fact, let's read it together. I'll read it from here. Hopefully, you have a copy of God's Word out. But he says, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hey, pastor, what does it mean to be unstained from the world? You, you, you know, I don't know exactly, but I, I think I know what it means for me. And so I think that conviction and following that and asking God to reveal in your life where you are letting the stain of the world come, come into you, I think is a good place to start this morning. So I think let's all agree that that's what we should do for that. Let's all agree that we should pray to the Lord and say, God, can you show me where I am allowing the world to creep in and change how I interact with you? And will you please reveal that to me so that I can repent and change that? Because I can't sit here from the pulpit and say, this is, this is what this means. Here's the legalistic rule that you have to follow. And if you're not doing this, then, you, then you're getting stained by the world. I, I can't do that for you. It's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And I trust him wholeheartedly to be able to do that for each of us. Ephesians 2.2 says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians, he also goes on to say, now, this is 4.17, 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so how I want to close this is simply by saying this. We need to live our identity. If I'm in Christ, I need to live as someone in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you need to live as someone in Christ. Here's the other good news of that too. That is not only a command, yes, absolutely. But do you remember how James started this? If you lack wisdom, ask and it will be given to you because every good gift comes down from the Father who is going to give this generously. I don't know about you, but I'm here to tell you that sometimes I lack wisdom in what it means to live out my identity in Christ. And so my guess is that you might too. Do you know that he guarantees us that he will help us if we sincerely want that? So I want to encourage you this morning. I know this is kind of maybe heavy to you. So in review, we need to receive the word humbly from his word and from other godly brothers or sisters in Christ as they speak into our lives using the word of God. We need to receive that in humility. We need to review the word continuously because I don't know about you, I so often forget what I look like just like Israel did. And don't we judge them? We think, man, you just saw like frogs and fleas and bloody water and all that stuff and now you're walking through and he departs the seas, you go on the other side and it's like, Oh yeah, by the way, let's have a crazy party down here at the bottom of the mountain while Moses is gone. It's like, what? Hey, guess what? I went to Beltire in my robe, okay? So no more judgment because I forget what I look like, and you probably do too. So we need to review the word continuously. And then lastly, obey the word wholeheartedly. We cannot be satisfied with mere checking boxes. We have to live it out. And what does that mean for each one of us? I don't know. But I'm going to pray that God would reveal that to me, and I'm going to ask that you would too. Let's do that now. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word from, from James. We ask you that you would help us to live out our identity in you. We know that this is what the world needs. You have told us that we are to be set apart for the purpose of the proclamation of the gospel to those who are perishing. And so God, not only is it our duty that you have given to us, but it is our desire so Lord, we come to you today and we ask that you might send us your spirit, that you might reveal to us the areas that need repentance, that need to be changed, and that you also, by that same spirit, would give us the power to then conform ourselves to your will. Because we know that you love us and because we know it's for our good. And so that is our prayer. It's in your name that we ask. Amen.